thank you for listening to Words and Nerds podcast. Danny V here. Words and Nerds pod are committed to Australian writers and aim to bring you conversational, sometimes deep, sometimes humorous episodes with a diverse range of authors and guest co-hosts. That's why I'm really excited to announce a partnership with Writing New South Wales. I've completed a few of their courses in the past and what I've really loved is the flexibility as I usually only get to pursue my hobbies early in the morning or very late into the night. These online courses give you the opportunity to learn from established authors such as Anne-Lynn Crawford, Kate Holden, Ryan O'Neill, Fiona Wright and many more. And the cool thing is you receive both tutor and peer feedback and you get to network with other writers. You can learn from anywhere and at your own pace. Writing New South Wales also offers on-demand courses that you can start anytime. I've just started the Getting Started with Picture Books with Elisa Darlison because it's a process I've always wanted to know more about. If you're a writer, reader, educator, book lover, librarian, aspiring writer, or if you just like me and like to know stuff, check out writingnewsouthwales.org.au. You can also sign up for their newsletter, News Bites, where you guessed it, words and nerds will appear. Thanks for listening and stay safe. It's such an honour, Danny, um, to be a part of this amazing podcast you're doing here. And it's just really cool to be talking about this book. You know my work and you've given it a lot of thought and um, I don't normally get such good questions, to be honest. <laughs> Your podcast is the one that I listen to when I want to listen to an interviewer who has actually read the books she's asking questions about <laughs> and asks really interesting, insightful questions about it. And I think that's really special. Thank you for your wonderful questions. It was a good chat. Great chat. You're a good interviewer. So enjoying listening to the podcast. That's brilliant what you do. Honestly, I'm so in awe and we need more word nerds like yourself, people that are passionate about books. Welcome and thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny V. Today, I welcome Will Kostakis, best known for his award-winning young adult novels. The first third won the 2014 Gold Inky Award and was shortlisted for the Children's Book Council of Australia Book of the Year and Australian Prime Minister's Literary Awards. The Sidekicks was his third novel for young adults and his American debut. It went on to win the Ibi Australia Ina Noel Award. Most recently, Will has applied his trademark style to the fantasy genre with Monuments and its sequel, Rebel Gods, which we talk about today. You'll also catch Will doing some Words and Nerds hosting very soon. Welcome back to the Words and Nerds podcast, Will Kostakis. You featured in episodes 126 about Monuments and 28 about Sidekicks, and here we are again. Oh, funnily enough, those are my two favourite episodes. <laughs> <laughs> mine too, mine too. <laughs> oh. Now today we're chatting about the sequel to Monuments, Rebel Gods. How has that been going for you? Are you loving writing it? Because it seems like you're having a lot of fun when you are. I had a lot of fun with it and I'm very glad the series is over. So <laughs> in one sense, I'm like, I'm thrilled that I wrote it. But in another sense, I'm so glad to see the back of it because it was... I keep setting myself challenges with each book that I write and sort of writing fantasy was so far out of my comfort zone. 
I'm I'm kind of happy to be able to settle back into contemporary fiction now. It's funny because I was going to say to you, although obviously it's it's adventure fiction, you do have that still that contemporary feel to it with the characters because the characters are such teenagers, they have such sass, and I just loved the voice of the characters. And I thought, you know, I think you've managed to balance that well. I wanted it to feel like Will Kostakis writing a fantasy novel or an adventure novel. I didn't want <laughs> it to feel like me imitating them like I can't do a Tolkien and as much as I tried when I was a teenager I can't do a Pratchett either <laughs> I had to figure out what made a Wilkes Starkus novel and then put that tell a fantasy story in that manner yeah well you definitely nailed that and I loved the like I said the voice because it was just this dry humor this dash of sarcasm a bit of joy here and there and I could hear your voice in there well totally yeah, well, that was the whole drive to write this book was I would visit schools and I would be like, I would tell the kids really, really exciting, funny stories and then give them one of my books to read. And they'd come back to me the next morning like, oh, I read the first four pages and I was crying the whole way. And like there was this huge disconnect between the way that I spoke and my presentation style and the books that I'd written, especially the sidekicks. And so I knew with this series, I wanted to capture the way that I spoke to kids, the way that I told stories to kids. Mm, that was great. It was one of my favorite things about it. Now, before we get stuck in, I just couldn't help myself then, mm -hmm. but uh, hit us up with an elevator pitch for Rebel Gods and monuments, if you like, too, if you want to set them up. So Rebel, uh, so I'll start with monuments. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Don't pitch the series backwards. So monuments is... Three teenagers skip school to find the ancient gods that are buried under different Sydney high schools. And Rebel Gods is those same three teenagers contending with the consequences of their adventure and also grappling with growing up having been changed by that adventure and also like facing off against the gods of love and fear to boot. <laughs> It's a fantastic description, and I love that. And I love that you had so much joy in writing it, well, some parts of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's also very hard <laughs> because that really came through. But where on earth did you get the idea of these rebel gods or these monuments, rather, hidden underneath the school and all that happens after? Like, where did this come from, Will? Well, I was visiting so many schools doing so many sort of talks. I would... I was always fascinated by the schools that I visited and I asked teenagers, oh, what's the most outlandish rumor you've heard about your school or urban legend? And they, it seemed to be repeated. Every different school I went to, they seemed to have the same rumors and they were the same rumors I heard about my school, like, you know, underground tunnels, you know, the remnants of old World War II bunkers that hadn't been filled in and they were filled with secrets and treasure and all that sort of stuff. And I loved... Legend of Zelda growing up, I still love it now. And so I was like, okay, instead of finding dungeons, what if they were finding things hidden under high schools? Mm. And so that's where sort of things being hidden under schools came from there. In terms of the gods and the different kinds of gods, I'm always fascinated by how people can believe the same religion but then have completely different ideas of who God is. Like take my grandparents, for instance. You have my grandfather who believes God was like, okay, he made the world and that's it, right? You know, in and out, he was the creator and hands off, left us to our devices. But there's my grandmother who believes if you pray to him, he will do things for you. And so 
there's this very there are two competing ideas of the same god and they grew up you know in you know villages two kilometers away from each other in greece and so i'm like right what if those two competing ideas of gods existed and how would they clash and so we had the monuments who created the world and then dusted their hands and were like great we're leaving this world to our creation whereas the influencer gods are like no 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 we want to have fun with this this is this is our chance to shine and they don't really want to let go of humanity and they still want to mess with them and have fun with them and that sort of tension was what inspired me to write it across two books because I knew the first book would focus on sort of introducing the creators and then the second book would deal with influence and not only that how we as a as a race have created our own gods whether it be through the media or through social media or through celebrity and all that sort of stuff and so those were all the ideas that were swirling in my head. And then I sat down and I was like, wait, I've got to tell a story that's fun and that has urgency and that tells a personal journey. And so I then sort of had tunnel vision. And I thought, what is Connor's story? And then the novels, I don't want to say they wrote themselves. I wrote them. <laughs> they were painful, but they kind of wrote themselves. <laughs> I love the pain of writing, though. What was the most painful thing about it? Was it bringing, like you said, all those ideas together and then, you know, writing a first adventure fiction? What was the most pain that you had? Uh, this, this is my favourite part of the writing process, the pain. So I thought Monuments was painful because I was doubting myself at every turn. And, you know, it was finding that right balance between the emotional stuff that I loved writing and the adventure stuff. And for most of those decisions, I just deferred to my publisher and their sort of feedback was just cut out all the emotional stuff that we booked to. And I was like, okay, cool. And then that gave me sort of a way through. And so Monuments was me just figuring out how to write a novel that was a page turner, because as much as I love my previous contemporary novels, they don't really have this out-of-control plot engine that keeps you turning the pages. You turn the pages for other reasons, thinking, oh, what are the characters going to get up to next sort of thing. Um, but I thought that was difficult. And then Rebel Gods just raised the stakes completely. I knew it was going to be an easier book to write because while Monuments was fantasy with a dash of contemporary, Rebel Gods was always going to be contemporary with a dash of fantasy mm. and so it was more my home turf I was more comfortable going into the book the problem was a few things happened one it was my first sequel so it was the first time you know I'll usually write a book and edit a book and the editing will take a year and writing a book will take as long as it takes usually about a year nowadays Rebel Gods had to be written and edited in about eight months. Wow. And so that was, I started writing it in October and it was off to print in June. And so that was a ridiculous time frame for me and something I honestly won't do again. <laughs> you know, it helped that a pandemic wiped out my calendar completely and I wasn't touring. But at the same time, that was another difficulty where I was writing and if you remember those first months of sort of, lockdown you know March April May my brain felt like it was melting and all the things I did whenever I was stuck I would go for a walk go to the gym you know socialize with people go out to eat just disconnect talk to teenagers I couldn't do any of that stuff that 
recharged me, refueled me. So it was just pain. It was a painful book to write. And then on top of that, I had to constantly be like, am I having fun? Am I having fun? Am I having fun? <laughs> Eventually, I found the right headspace to be in and to sit there and go, wait, this is my escape from everything that's happening. And once I approached the story like that, it was far easier. And I found that joyous voice that I had in the first book. But the first few drafts were tough going, especially with that looming ticking clock of my deadline and the, the release date that was locked in. Mm. It's interesting how creative people have tried to manage, you know, like you said, the, the lockdown and even when we weren't locked down, you were sort of minimising where you were going or you couldn't go into schools or whatever. And so it's interesting that you then had to sort of change the way you create and you couldn't, you know, like you said, disconnect and go out to a school or whatever. And so you found another way. And, and I guess the book was kind of became that for you. Yeah. And it forced me to do a few things. You know, I had these grand visions of going to locations, sitting down in the park and writing a scene set there and immersing myself. And then <laughs> I was trapped inside. So <laughs> I cheated a bit and I was like, right, everything's going to happen in my neighborhood. You know, Lockie lives in Redfern. Great. That's where I live. Excellent. <laughs> so little cheats like that. I sort of brought the focus. I zoomed way, way in um, so that it was manageable and I could still write the story that I wanted to, but in a way that was more feasible and more sort of forgiving to me in, you know, Hellscape 2020. Yeah, fair enough. And look, when they're rebel gods and they're going on all these adventures, I think it's okay for them to, you know, live in your neighbourhood because their world is pretty broad. Yeah, it's um, that's the thing. I wanted to capture with this series, capturing the ordinariness of Sydney and then slapping some really fun over the top fantasy on top of it. Mm. And so that's where it became the best escape for me because I would wander down my street, bored as all hell, you know, and let's face it, worrying about finances and things like that as we do when, yeah. you know, your income stream has been completely cut off. Yeah. And I was sort of transported back to my creative process when I was a kid, when I would just look around or I would press my head against the window of a Sydney train and I would see this epic fantasy story playing out across its rooftops. It brought me back to that. And so Monuments was my way to sort of escape the sidekicks, which was a really, really heavy story. And in the same way that, you know, after my best friend's death in high school, um, reading the books that he encouraged me to read, like Terry Pratchett, you know, pulled me out of my funk when he died, I, when I wrote a book about him and depressed the hell out of myself. <laughs> Writing a fantasy story in that vein pulled me out of it. That was my escape from that. And Rebel Gods was my escape from 2020 and all that sort of the, the overbearing, you know, doom and gloom that we've mm. had to sort of deal with. Even since before um, the pandemic, we had sort of the bushfires into that. And I'm trying to write this hopeful, uplifting story about empowering teenagers in a time that feels really, really hopeless, or at least we feel powerless to stop anything. Absolutely. Now, is the next escape the greatest hit? Is this your next escape? 
That, <laughs> that, that's, that's the thing. I, you know, that, I've already established that Rebel Gods was difficult. So my publisher was like, Will, on top of that book you're writing, and it's the fastest book you've ever written, <laughs> we would love for you to write a novella as well. <laughs> you're like, sure <laughs> thing. I've got yeah, this. Look, I, <laughs> it was, I, they approached me very, very cautiously. But look, I'm so grateful to have been chosen as an Australia Reads ambassador this year. And part and parcel with that is you write a book that is affordable. So it is a $3 novella. Um, it's a 10,000 word story. This wasn't my escape. This was my return to writing contemporary fiction. And because of that, and because I am such a stickler for actually writing teen books for teenagers and for to reflect their reality. Like, you know, when you talk to authors and they're like, oh, mobile phones are really tricky to create drama from. So I'm going to set my story in the 90s so that this <laughs> novel appeals to people in their 40s and 50s. I'm like, no, that is garbage. There, If you don't want to write for teenagers and teenagers' existence nowadays is too difficult for you to imagine a story around, just don't fool us. Write a book for adults. That's okay. Um <laughs> For me, I was like, right, what are teens living through? And it's, you know, I was fascinated by the idea of distance learning and, you know, everyone suddenly being hyper-connected but also really disconnected. Yeah. And um, I decided, you know what, I'm going to write a story about two girls who fall in love during lockdown and sort of what the pressures of that might be and so um that's where tessa was born and so they her and charlie sort of bond over the music that they make and so they're sending each other songs um to sort of connect and it's a really beautiful really hopeful story about finding love but then also just owning up when you stuff up and sort of it's never too late to make things right that's my vague pitch because it's only 10,000 words. If I talk about it for another 100 words, then me talking about it is longer than the novella is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait to read it. It sounds amazing and it sounds like something that we need, I think, the positivity out of what 2020 has, has given us so far. The first person to actually read the book read it today in one sitting wow. and really enjoyed it and didn't find any typos which is <laughs> honestly bonus i will take that like that is that is a glowing five-star review as far <laughs> as i'm concerned nailed it <laughs> <laughs> exactly now i love how in that story you've got the two girls falling in love and of course yep. in rebel gods we've got connor and Lockie, and i just mm -hmm. love this it's just you talking about people in relationships who are representative of our society but are not in books enough, you know. So I yeah. really like how, especially I loved Connor and Lockie's relationship. I loved the humour of it. I loved the tenderness of it. I loved the sarcasm of it because that's real teenage relationships, isn't it? Yeah. And I didn't want to fall into the second book trap where it was like, you know, so many times I hear people say it's really difficult to write a sequel to a love story because then the tension, the will they want, their tension is gone. And I think about that and I'm like, wow, you've really just sort of told us a lot about what you think about the relationships <laughs> that you're in. Yes. Like it should be once you've got something, you can then build on it. And I remember I was doing a library gig with Gabrielle Toza years ago. And one of the questions we were asked by someone in the audience was, why don't you write 
characters who are already in a relationship? Like, where are the books for people like that? Because, you know, there is a lot you have to navigate, you know, when you are in a, a longer-term relationship. Not that this is a long-term relationship. It's like week, it's weekend five or something that we sort of catch up with them again. So they're still very much in a honeymoon phase. Um, but I wanted a relationship where they challenged each other to be better and there was no conflict about whether they were going to break up or if someone was cheating on the other or withholding something from the other. I wasn't really interested in any of that. For me, it was, look, when you meet Lockie in book one, that's very much, you see Lockie in that book through Connor's thirst for him because they literally know each other for two days and their, their relationship hasn't really formed yet. It's still sort of exciting and new and with the rebel gods, I wanted to show sort of them sort of settled into themselves and just living their best lives basically and not weighed down by homophobia or, you know, families not accepting them, all that sort of stuff. Like I find that really, really boring and Mm. I find that's not really, again, that's not a story for this generation of queer kids. Like, yes, um, we are still combating homophobia, all that sort of stuff. But especially after the plebiscite and that whole mess, you can see the culture war has shifted its aim to trans and non-binary kids. And, you know, this sort of family not accepting us for being gay thing, that's a very 90s, <laughs> 2000s story. It's not like you have kids who are pretending to be gay for clout on TikTok. Like that's, you know, you, you have a coming out video on YouTube and it's your biggest video ever. We need to adapt. Yes, coming out stories are still very important. Like writing a coming out story in the sidekicks was not only cathartic for me, it also gave me the confidence to then come out wider than my sort of circle of friends and family. And so while those stories are still important, we need to actually show that queer people exist beyond coming out and that they can actually live full lives and the main sort of story of their life isn't that their family doesn't accept them. Like I refuse to believe that that's that's the queer story and once you solve that or escape that, you just vanish. And, you know, I am four years out from coming out professionally and while, yes, you still sort of come across homophobia, you still hit a roadblock that, you know, straight will didn't hit in the first, you know, seven years of his career. But at the same time, there are so many other queer experiences that I'm experiencing. And you're talking your truth, Will, and I like it. I I really like a couple of things you said there. I like how you, you know, it isn't just that only story that queer people have. You're absolutely right. And I think we need to have your stories that just, it's just a normal part of their existence. And, you know, we, we, you need to go beyond that, which you did beautifully, I think. And that's why I just loved their kind of little their banter between each other. I thought it was lovely. It was also me resisting, you know, there are these expectations on queer stories. So after Monuments came out, I spoke to a librarian at one of the schools that I visit. And she was like, Will, I really, really loved Monuments. It was so fun. I just wish Connor struggled with his sexuality more. <laughs> And I'm just like, why do you wish that? Like, (laughs) do you wish that? Do you think that's realism? Is that why you wished for it? Mm. And if that's the case, then why do you think that's the queer experience? Or do you you wish that 
just on him as a queer person that he needs to have this sort of trauma that he's carrying around. So it was my my rejection of that. Um, and there's still an exploration of homophobia in the book. Mm-hmm. You can't have two, three queer kids become gods and not have that sort of be an undercurrent, you know, but it's also the main thing I wanted it to be was, you know, we've seen this resistance, you know, with Greta Thunberg and other teenagers who stand up and, you know, demand that the world take notice. We see the powerful older, usually men of the world, try to swat them down. And so while, yes, some of the reactions are based on race and sexuality, most of the reaction is just that they are young people who envisage a different world, a better world and a fairer world. And I found it refreshing in the way that you wrote that. And the other point that I wanted to talk in your very, you know, long, was not waffling at all, Will, it's very profound. Um, (laughs) You keep saying, you're long meandering. (laughs) I did not not say that. No, you should have seen me. If you could see me right now. I, I, the video is not on just for listeners to know because I'm in my pajamas. But um, <laughs> I was I was nodding so much my head was falling off seriously. Um, but the other thing I wanted to talk about was the idea of so many books talk about the falling in love, but not the staying in love. And I think that's what our society isn't that great at. It's the staying in love because you know all the stories, fairy tales, for instance, that you can't escape. They're all about the falling in love, and then they end. Yeah. And so I think I think we're pretty ordinary at the staying in love, aren't we? And it's seeing each other. You're in a partnership and you should be bouncing off each other and, you know, building on what you have and inspiring the best in the other person. And that's that's very easy to say and very difficult to do because when a certain partner doesn't do the dishes for weeks at a time... <laughs> Suddenly, it's very difficult to see the best in them. <laughs> Is this a um, true story, Will? Are we now delving into your life? <laughs> look, I am not looking at stacks of plates passive-aggressively left by the sink. <laughs> of course not. I will never, ever. Am I, I am a notoriously private author who does not reflect on his lived experiences in his work and in his interviews. <laughs> or on um, Twitter. Oh, yeah. No, of course not. Um, but, yeah, it's. It's the same thing as seeing an existence for queer people beyond coming out. Like, there needs to be a story beyond falling in love. There needs to be that, – that isn't just, oh, we broke up. Like, that's so – that's really easy and that's just – that's blowing something up and that's something that it takes a stroke of a pen. That's, that's easy to do. It's, it's a lot harder to write something that is positive – like, how many TV shows go downhill once the will-they-won't-they they tension is gone? Mm. Like, But it shouldn't. They're still the same people. They should still have the same chemistry. They're just together now. Mm, that's um, right. But it's as if we need this sort of hanging mystery over their heads to sort of appreciate what they have and sort of give it danger. I think... I think there is a beauty in reflecting stability in a way that's not boring or complacency. I believe you will. And I'm there right with you. I think we need more stories like that because, you know, when, when someone tells me that they just live happily ever after and the story ends, I'm just, I'm left hanging. (laughs) (laughs) 
and, you know, I've said all this and then, you know, someone looks up my Twitter and it's like, Will has broken up with boyfriend. <laughs> oh, no. Was it over the dishes? Oh, Will. <laughs> now, oh, no. I do love um, watching your stories on, on Instagram or social media and I particularly love watching your relationship with your grandmother. It's one of my favourite things. Is she still signing your books? If she's, if she's out and about and um, people ask for it, yeah, we do. But she's... She is my biggest fan and I am, look, I am so blessed to have her around still and to sort of share this with her. Like I always, people often ask like, where did you get your drive from? You know, how did you become an author? And the answer to that question used to be, oh, you know, I got a book deal at 17. And then as I thought about it more, that evolved into, oh, I started writing my first book in year six. And then that evolved into, I read a book in year one and I wanted to be an author. And every time I've told that story, I've discovered the step before that I didn't tell people. And the step before is my grandparents came over from Greece, not being able to speak. They they could speak Greek, they couldn't write in Greek, and they couldn't read or write in English. And so my grandparents, you know, wanted us to have a chance at the life that they didn't have, a literate life. And, you know... My grandfather would sort of, he worked as a cleaner and he would then go to news agencies before they opened, wait outside and once they opened, storm in, buy a handful of exercise books and then sit at the dining table, watch us eat breakfast and then slide the books over and just tell us to write. And, you know, my grandmother was there too, so she fed us while we wrote and they watched us write and... You know, my grandmother was there when I won Sydney Morning Herald Young Writer of the Year. Like, being the coolest person ever, I could invite two people. Um, and so I invited my mum and my grandmother. Um, yeah, yeah, I was dressed as J-Lo. It was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> that actually uh, makes you the coolest person, Will. <laughs> and, like, I know that every word I write is because of the legacy of her and my grandfather and my mum. Like, those are the... Those are the three parents I had. Those are the people who were always in my corner. And so to one, still have her in my corner, that's really special. But two, to have people feel like they know her and love her and her getting a standing ovation at Sydney Writers' Festival um, and her signing more books than every other author there combined (laughs) and making them really salty and really jealous. Like that's (laughs) getting to share that experience with her And, you know, I don't think I'll ever, I don't think she'll ever understand the impact that she's had on my life. But if I can share this experience with her, um, I'm grateful for every single day that I get to. Yeah, it's so special. And I I just love, um, you know, watching my kids with their grandparents. And I love watching you with your grandmother. It's just such a beautiful thing to watch from afar. But I love it anyway. And I think you've answered my last question, Will. I think you've ruined everything. My question was, why do you write? write? And I think you answered it, this beautiful story about your grandparents. Is there anything else you can add to that? I don't think so. It was perfect. There's the the, the author vanity where it's like, oh, I want people to hear my thoughts. But no, that's just a joke answer. Um, I think you already gave me the real answer. And there's there's also the fear of, and look, everything – Everything in my head you can always tie back to my friend dying in high school. And, yes, I wrote before him, but what I was writing changed after he died. It was it was this desire to preserve 
what I had and what I lived to sort of once I wrapped words around it and committed it to ink and paper, it was real and I could sort of return to it. And it's that I think I think fear of loss is a really big part of it. And it's it's not it's it's me fooling myself. Like I can write something, I'm still gonna lose it. I'm still gonna lose memories. I'm still gonna lose sort of that part of my life. I'm still gonna lose the people that inspire the characters that I write. But it's that sort of hope that I can if I write it down, one, I can share it with people and other people can know, yes, they existed. Um it's also my way of having something to go back to if I ever need to be reminded of what my life was like or who I had or how I really felt. My books, if you look at my books, you can see sort of the will that wanted to, you know, the duality of will, you know, wanting to start a family, not wanting to lose people that come with age and sort of those first awkward steps into queerness. You see that in the first third. In the sidekicks, you see sort of my fear of letting go you see you know taking sort of awkward first steps as an adult like that's what the sidekicks was and sort of wrestling with how will my career change when I come out that is what the sidekicks is monuments is that sort of you know being present in my life not running away from stuff I can't fix and rebel gods is I haven't sat with it a lot but I from the last reading that I did of it, it's my changing relationship with my mum now that I've moved out and sort of, you know, as I've grown up and you sort of renegotiate what your relationship is when your parents, they don't become your equals, but they sort of become, so this is another waffly answer and you've stayed silent, you've let me keep going, but I'll finish this point. Uh, it's that sort of, you know, your parents don't become your equals, but they they stop being your parents if that makes sense or like you you sometimes find yourself parenting them and you know technology has really accelerated this because you know it's not that I'm sort of cooking for my mum but I'm teaching her how to turn on a television like that <laughs> at a regular basis um but it's and it's that sort of like how much of your parents life can you control and sort of and, you know, this that rebel gods, there's this theme of control running through it, whether you're looking at the influencer gods or you're looking at, you know, the friends and how they control each other or you're looking at sort of Connor's relationship with his mum. And it is about sort of what do you do when you're grown and your parents have to fill your absence with more life and how do you accept no longer being, you know, they're like the person that completely owns their heart if that makes sense. Mm. And so that's, that's what rebel gods is. That's, that's me sort of my, you know, single parent angst put into that book. Um, so you can, you can see these slivers of, I'll get back to my main point, which is there are these slivers of who I am and my concerns and fears. They're, they're trapped in those books. And so why do I write? I write so that in my 80s and 90s, you know, when I'm no longer as sharp as I think I am now, <laughs> I can look back and I can just see my life on a bookshelf. And if I can share the best of me um, with other people, then I'm really blessed. 
Well, that is an extraordinary answer, Will, and I didn't interrupt you because that's how I get all my secrets out of the authors that I speak to. So, no, it was, it was a lovely <laughs> answer. It was nice. No, Thank thanks. you. It's, look, it's, it's always wonderful talking to you. Oh, you too. I feel like we just go so deep in, you know, the 30 minutes or however long we talk. We just go straight into all this deep and meaningful stuff, and I love it. It's my favourite thing to do. <laughs> But thank you so much for joining me again, Will. I mean, third time, you're almost, you know, you're almost a host, I think. This is, this is our epic trilogy. <laughs> it so is, are we gonna, it is. Are we going to risk it and go for a fourth or are we just going to be like, nah, you know what, this is it? No, nah, I, I will never cut you off, Will. Like I said, I love these deep conversations, but it's always a pleasure to speak to you and I love your work. And now I'm actually going to look at your books a little bit differently because now I can see they're all kind of a little bit of an autobiography of Will. So I really look forward to whatever you write next because I can see what stage of life you're in then. <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking at it now. It is on a series of post-its on the wall beside me. And I think tomorrow is the day when I commit the plan to a Word document and then I start writing. So it's, it's something really special. So I can't wait for people to read it. Fantastic. And I can't wait to speak to you about it, hopefully for the fourth time, Will. I know. Wow. <laughs> Thank you again so much for your time. It's always lovely to chat to you. My pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs>